0: God has always sent his followers to reach the lost and restore the broken through blessing. First through Abraham and now as followers of Christ, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to the world. And one of the most important ways that we are called to bless our world is inviting others into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Bless is a new way of thinking about loving our neighbor as a natural part of our everyday life. We do this through five simple missional practices to help our unchurched family and friends journey towards faith in Christ. This morning we're going to read from John 13, 1 through 17 so if you're wanting to follow along. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew... I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them.
1: Thanks, Amy, and thank you, church, for the amazing and thoughtful video. Well, we're in a series that is probably one of the most important series that we've ever done, not just for our church, but also, I believe, for our lives. It's called BLESS, and BLESS stands for five of the core missional practices that we see in the life of Jesus. And we're challenging people to do one of these five things every day, and see what happens. It's like this bless experiment. So we're, we're challenging each small group to start with this question of who did you bless this week? Or how did you see God's working through you in blessing others? So let's just review each of the five things or the, the three that we've already done to see how we're doing with understanding them. And then just asking God for this to permeate our lives. The first one is starts with B. Does anyone remember what it is? Oh, look, see, you have cheat sheets. I tell my kids and, you know, I used to tell my former students as a teacher, like, it's okay to be resourceful. Yeah, begin with prayer where we're actually saying to God every day, God, I want to see you and partner with you. Help me to know where you're working and join you in it. How about the L? There we go, listen with care. This is not just uh, listening to people at surface level, but it's listening to their dreams and their pain. it's listening even below the surface. How about the E? Eat, eat, eat but not just eat because we can do that in the car through a drive-through at Taco Bell uh, together with other people there's something Not just sacred, but there is something beautiful about sharing a meal together, about identifying with needing that sustenance, as Gare talked about last week. And what happens is we don't just get fed, we actually deepen and develop those relationships with each other. And today we're talking about serve in love or serve with love, where we listen and we pray and we're spending time with people we're praying for, and then In response to that, we choose to meet others' needs in practical and impactful ways. So that's what we're going to talk about in a moment. And then next week, we'll look at the fifth practice. It starts with share. It's one of my favorites, but it's also the one that I think we like to do last. So I was trying out some of my listen with care skills last week or a couple weeks ago with teenagers, and I need my visual aid prop here. So... As I was asking the students, uh, one of the questions I like to ask is, uh, What was a high of your week? And then after they share, So what was a low of your week? And in about five, four or five of these conversations, what uh, several of the students talked about was how in some of their relationships, they felt like some of their friends or their frenemies needed to knock them down in order for them to feel better about themselves, like this vertical ladder of relationships. And so I listened, and I wanted to say, oh, don't worry, that never happens as an adult. (laughs) Unfortunately, we know all too well that it still happens as an adult. Some of us, though, Don't do the ladder of relationships as an adult. We pursue other ladders. Some of us pursue this ladder called work. And there's this sign at the bottom that says, you know, just climb this, and you'll achieve significance. And you look at the ladder, and it doesn't look all that steep, and it doesn't look all that long. And so you just start climbing. And you climb, and you climb, and you work hard. You put in the hours. You get the promotion. You receive the awards. And you start to feel worth and value and significance, except the longer you climb and the farther you go, you realize that you might not be significant to the people you value most when you chase this ladder. Perhaps you uh, follow this ladder uh, that we'll call leisure, and there's a sign at the bottom that promises relaxation, It says something like, you know, if things are too challenging, just start climbing this ladder. It's not even that hard. And you look at the ladder and you see, you know, oh, yeah, I could do that. And along the way, there's these rungs that are shows to binge on or games to play or games to watch or books to read. They might even be trails to run. And so we climb and we climb this ladder. Soon, if we follow this too much, We know more about our fantasy teams than we do about our kids' grades or their friends. Or maybe we climb this ladder and we um, spend more time focusing on working out than working on intimate conversations with a spouse or someone we care about. And we think the ladder is going to ease the pressure, but all it does is actually intensify it. There, are, I'm sure, are many, many more ladders. But what if, what if life isn't about climbing ladders? What if we actually see that before we even get on the ladder, the answers are at the bottom? I mean, Jesus talks about the, the one who is greatest would take the lowest rank, and the leader would be the servant, And he says, who's more important, the one who sits or the one who serves? And before they can answer the question, Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. In fact, he continued and said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So let's enter this story that Amy read, and let's picture that meal that Jesus was having. And just look at what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. So I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. This is uh, Leonardo da Vinci's picture of the Last Supper. It is it is a beautiful picture in its own right. And, um, you know, sometimes we do some interactive things. So just shout out one thing you might notice about this picture. Busy. It's busy. What what do you see that makes you say that? Moving around. Yeah, that's a great Great illustration. What else? Jesus is there we go. Yep. If this is the Jesus person in the middle, then they're right in the center of the picture. Great observation. What else? Really close. What? Really, really close. Everybody's really close. What do you see that makes you say that? Uh, they're almost each other. Ooh. Do you notice anything more about that? That's a great observation. Except Jesus. Except Jesus. In the midst of this meal there, he seems to be alone. Anything more on that? Ooh, what do you see that makes you say that? Ooh, maybe they're talking about that betrayal thing. Notice how there's a clump of three here and a clump of three here and another clump of 3 and another clump of 3 even even in a group that's supposed to be this model of community there's factions and potentially accusations great great observations and i would i would agree with all these observations and yet the the way that the scholars of the scriptures and history talk about the way that Jesus' contemporaries would have eaten meals, this really doesn't give us the right picture of what Jesus would have been, how they would have been interacting. So there's probably a different way that the, that the meal was partaken. There's another picture that we've got. And notice in this picture, there's some couches or rugs There's a larger table. It still looks like some people are sitting, but the food is coming in from one side. There's a lot of activity as well. Now, everybody is looking at Jesus. I I think that there's probably some idealism in that as well. But the point is that this was the picture of what would have been happening just before the Jewish Passover. The Jewish Passover... Passover is the most important holiday in the Jewish calendar, in the, the faith life that Jesus would have come from. And you see all of these busy articles and, and food things and people are coming in along the sides because it's a very meticulous and ordered meal. There's Four cups of wine, or at least four times in the meal that people share in the wine. There's specific prayers to pray. There's specific foods to eat. And not just that, but it was this commemoration of God pulling the people, rescuing them from slavery, and moving them to freedom. And they were supposed to observe this meal as if they were the ones who personally experienced that. They were to eat the meal in what they would describe as sacred time, recalling the rescue and the sacrifice it required and the blood of the Passover lamb being that requirement. They would look not only to their past, but also to their present and into their future. Listen to what one of the introductions to this meal, how how it describes it. It says, Let all who are hungry enter and eat. Let all who are needy come to our Passover feast. This year, we are here in the land of slavery. Next year, we might be in the land of Israel. This year, we are slaves. Next year, we may be free. The meal was an invitation to see, them th- to see themselves in the story of God. And they were, the meal was eaten On the floor, or if it was a fancy house, on these elevated couches with large tables in the middle that were potentially low, so that each person was laying down in this semi reclined fashion where their head was towards the middle, their feet were out to the ends, and then they would reach in and take the food and then eat it. Reach in with their right hand, take the food with their left, or reach in with their right hand and eat the food with their right hand. So when you hear the story of Jesus or John the disciple Jesus loved and he's he's whispering about this deception and it says John leans back against Jesus chest. It would make total sense if this was the picture. And why I think it's important to bring this up is because there's this thing that happens in the story Well, two things that happened in the story. See, even in this somewhat circular picture here of the arrangement, there would still be a seat of honor for the guest of honor. And there would still be a seat to the left and the right of that where the most important people would sit. But not only that, as Amy read in the story, there was also this foot washing that happened. And Luke, and he tells, when he tells this parallel version of the story, he includes one important detail that John doesn't. So Luke 22, verses 14 through 18 says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take it and divide among you, for I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he goes into the, uh, the communion words that we'll say a little bit later about the bread, and then he takes another cup. So we know that there's a couple cups of wine that's happening, so it's in the beginning to the middle of the meal here. And then it says in Luke twenty-two twenty-four that a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Now, could the debate about who is the greatest have been sparked by who would sit in the seats of honor? If you go back to that sketch picture, is it possible that as they're sitting down at the meal, as they're arranging themselves around the table, that they would want to Figure out who is going to sit by Jesus, Jesus being the guest of honor. And there was a dispute among them that was, you know, if we figure out who's the greatest, then we'll know who can be on Jesus' right and Jesus' left. I think that's highly possible. But I also think it's highly possible that there's a second part to that that it wasn't just about the seats of honor. As Amy read in John 13, it says that Jesus knew the hour had come and it was time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And so having loved those who were in the world, he loved them until the end. With this evening meal in progress, and the devil already prompting Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus, Jesus knew that God the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come From God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that began to pour water in a basin and wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. See, this foot washing thing was a very common custom of the time. Think about the dirty, dry, and dusty roads of Judea, Samaria, and the Roman provinces. There was not really a sanitation system that was super in place, plus there was not pavement on the roads. There was some brick, but everybody wore, wore open-toed, sandal, open-toed sandals, so things got a little dirty, a little dusty, and a little smelly, and the foot washing job was reserved for the lowest slave or the least among women, not really fair, but just the reality, so a good host would provide a servant for the work. And if they didn't have a servant, then the host certainly wouldn't take up the chore himself or herself. So with the way the couches were arranged, it made it incredibly easy and culturally appropriate to ignore the person that was washing your feet. They were on the periphery. I don't think it's a big stretch to say, this is kind of what happens at a restaurant. When the server comes, we can choose to interact with them or ignore them. But certainly when they're done and when we're about to leave, there's this busser that comes that cleans up all the food. Rarely do we ever interact with that person. It's almost the same. And it's, it's not considered awful to do so. It's just culturally appropriate. You re- you're getting up to leave. You haven't interacted with that busser person all day, or the whole meal, and so they come and you might smile at them, but at most that's what happens. This is very similar. The people are on the outside, this is happening, but if there's no servant, if there's no least among them, among the women, then there would be a discussion, not only about who would be the greatest, but who would be the least because the one who would be least would be relegated to wash the dirty smelly feet is it too much of a stretch to say that in the midst of the discussion about who would be the greatest that Jesus gets up from the table as they're arguing about who would be the greatest takes off his rabbi robes looks then like he's a servant himself takes the bowl, and starts washing the feet. I think the clamor of the disciples arguing suddenly dies down as they realize just what is going on. There is no other example of Near Eastern literature that has the rabbi or the teacher washing the feet of students. None. So if you're a note-taker... You might want to write down that in a like, ladder-climbing, selfie-centered world, that serving in love is actually a surprise. I think this was easily a surprise to the disciples, even if it's not as I think it is, but there are scholars who agree with me, that as this argument's happening and as the meal's progressing, that Jesus does this, that that's a surprise to them. If you've been involved with people's lives and you've done something generous for them, you, you know that it's a surprise. Jesus didn't need to climb this ladder for significance. He didn't need to climb this ladder for identity. The scriptures tell us that, that Jesus served the people, that he washed the disciples' feet because he was secure in who God said he was. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. And so he got up from the table. He didn't have to seek an identity. He had an identity. And I think that's an invitation for us that we don't have to let what we do, no matter what we do, define us. That Jesus has given us an example and an identity. In fact, the only ladders he really climbed were down. He was the image of God. He was in the divine trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And he climbed down from the heavenly glory and became human. And as a human and a teacher and a Lord, he climbed down from being a teacher and Lord and became a servant and slave. This is who he was. Just imagine the dirt, potentially the dung, crusted sandals being pulled off of each smelly foot and being washed with care. Because Jesus certainly didn't have a bad attitude about it man that just not to make light of it but that speaks to me cuz when i serve it's not with love it's like hey i did the dishes and my wife will usually go do you want an award like we're partners in this <laughs> and then i go no no i don't need an award kids you should kids you should do this you don't get an award for it but clean out the litter box go mow the lawn Because you want to be participants in this family, right? On bad days. But that's a surprise when it's done with love. I think also that serving with love is a command from Jesus, not a suggestion. In this selfish world, we can often think, well, no one else is going to do that. Why would I need to do that? Nobody was volunteering to wash the feet. They were arguing about the seats, And not wanting to say yes to the washing. And Jesus goes and does it. It's a command that he gives us. He tells us this behavior should be modeled by his followers. When Jesus finished washing their feet, he put his robes back on and said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and that's rightly so, for that is what I am. But now, I, as the teacher and Lord, have washed your feet. You should wash my feet. Like, it's the law of reciprocity. But that's not what he says. That might be the law of the world, but the law of the kingdom is that you wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you remember them. No, you'll be blessed if you do them. And if we're not convinced, at the end of this episode, Jesus says, new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Three times, serve with love, love one another, is put into this last encapsulation of what this episode has meant to Jesus' followers and what it should mean in our lives. I think he's saying that service is as vital to the life of a believer as prayer, as reading scripture, as participating community, as repenting, believing, and relating with Jesus. And we often see it as optional or like we should get an award for it. So maybe God is actually just speaking to you right now about someone in your life that he's asking you to serve. Where's that person? And how would it look? What would you do? It means the person might not be someone we choose. It might not be someone we even like. Think about who was at that table. John was to the right of Jesus, but to the left of Jesus was Judas, the one in charge of the money. The one that was actually, some scholars say, the most qualified to be a disciple of a rabbi. He washed the feet of the person that would betray him. He went around, he came to Thomas, who after the resurrection would deny him or would doubt him. He came all the way around the circle to Peter would be ashamed to be associated with him. That challenges me. Because I don't think it was just a humbling act then. I think it was a humiliating act to wash the people that would deny you or doubt you or betray you. So who are those people that are in your life that would fit that description? Is it the neighbor who always needs help but always busy when you need help? Or the person at work who's always complaining? Or the people that don't vote like us or believe the way we do? People who talk behind our backs or who just simply don't like us? Jesus would say, yes, even those people are people we can serve in love. To serve in love, I think in its essence means, I see you, I see your need, and I'm coming to do something about it. Yesterday, we had just a very challenging and tragic funeral to do as a community. And I saw so many of you serve with love. From the people who were greeting those that were coming in, that might have been just acquaintances, not even in the same faith tradition as Elena, loving them, directing them, letting them know where the family was, to sitting with the cards and handing them out with care, connecting with each person, to the people down the hall that were preparing food, arranging it so that people just didn't sit in a service and in a crowd, but got, into, got to. Be receive hospitality, to make connections with people, to go beyond just the service to how each of these people are, are walking and learning. It was such a proud moment in my life. Like, thank you, God, that I get to be part of a, a place where that happens. We can be, in small ways, a part of that with, in December, in November, when we do this thing called Armful of Love where we buy gifts for those that aren't sure they're going to have any. It's a way to come around the community to give gifts, to be a representation of Jesus, and it's a beautiful and fun thing to do. But I think even more than just Jesus doing this selfless, sacrificial service and us saying, yes, we need to do that too, I think if we just stopped there, we would miss it because in a serving Serving with love is actually a spiritual change agent. Listen to what Peter and Jesus' interaction is. Jesus, or Peter thinks this is about hygiene, and he's confusing it with what Jesus is actually trying to do. In verse 6, it says that Jesus came around to Simon Peter, and he says, Lord, do you need to wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet? And he says, yeah, you don't realize what I'm doing, but I have to do this. Well, then wash all of my feet body, not just my feet. And he says, those who've had a bath don't need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you're clean, though not every one of you is clean, because he knew that someone was going to betray him, and that's why he said it. See, again, Peter thinks it's about the dirt and the stink, so they can just enjoy supper. But Jesus is actually saying something even more than that. The writer includes these words, for wash and bathe, that mean like to wash a part of yourself, nito versus to bathe, luo, and to wash the entire person. And so the best way I could describe this is, remember when you are a kid and you were outside playing and your hands were very, very dirty, and all of a sudden your parent or another parent would say, time to wash up before supper, and so you would run into the bathroom, you would turn on the water, usually boys did this, and um, you'd put your hands under and shut it off. And then you'd sit down and, all right, are you ready? Did you wash? Yep. Did you use soap? <laughs> and you'd take the walk of shame back to the bathroom because you knew that washing, like running your hands under the water, wasn't really washing. It's the soap That was the cleaning agent. I think what Jesus is saying here is, don't miss the spiritual significance of what I am doing. I am the spiritual change agent. I'm the spiritual cleaning agent. If you don't connect with me, if you don't wash with me, Peter, you're not a part of me. See, what is happening here isn't just washing off their feet. What Jesus is doing is saying, as I'm washing your feet, I'm giving you a picture of what I'm gonna do tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to shed my blood. I'm gonna be the Passover that we're celebrating today. That just as God used sheep, uh, this perfect sacrifice of a lamb, to spare the people from God's judgment and save them from death, to bring them into the freedom of the promised land, I'm the one who's going to have my blood washing over you to save you from judgment and death so that you can come into this place of life with me to the kingdom of God that every sin, every wrong, everything that you've ever done that has been done in the world will be reconciled and will be redeemed. That's what's happening here, Jesus. So, or that's what's happening here, Peter. So will you let me use soap? Will you let me wash you with my life? Because you... I have to do it this way because you can't comprehend what it's like for the God of all creation to enter humanity and remove heavenly glory and become one of us to be sacrificed for us. So I've got to wash your feet and you'll get it later. That's what I think is happening here. So today, as we receive communion, I think we're being asked, Are you Peter? Are you Judas? See, it's not about being perfect. Peter denied Jesus. He went away and wept bitterly, but he came back. You might have doubts. You might be ashamed to be connected with Jesus, and I think Jesus will still receive you. I think he still runs to you. It's only the one that rejects and rejects forever like Judas where Jesus is saying I can't reach you if you won't let me but if you're going to receive me receive all of me receive the humble servant the one who comes and continually challenges the powers of the world over and over and engage in that way by my Power by my spirit with my strength, and that will change the world. See, serving in love sacrifices whatever is necessary to help people see their need for eternity. So, as the band comes up, as we partake of communion together, may it be like this meal that when you receive. The juice and the bread, you are receiving Jesus' redemption. That you are united with him and with the church worldwide. I think that's what Jesus invites us to today. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person here. For the reality, God, that you see every one of us. No matter where we've been or what we've done or even what we think of you. God, if we were around that table, you'd wash our feet. You'd serve us with love. God, and I thank you that you've given us an example to follow, but if I confess, honestly, sometimes I don't want to follow that example. It's hard. So I thank you for including this story of Peter to realize that, God, I have to accept all of you, every part of who you are. God, I pray that we would have the faith and the strength to do that, that we would see that your love has made a way for each of us to do that. And God, as in this time of communion, I pray that we would have a spiritual transaction with you, that it would be transformation, that we would sense your redemption and your love today. God, I pray for those who are, God, so weary, for those who are hurting, I pray that they would sense your care and your patience. That you would interact with them over the food and over the washing. To know that you are available for constant communication. Now lead us and unite us, God, with your church worldwide and with your spirit. Amen.